In John chapter 8, Jesus said, beginning in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And then he said in verse 36 of that chapter, So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We know that if we are in Jesus Christ, we have real freedom. In fact, we're going to be looking tonight at a passage, in fact, the next two Sunday nights, we're willing, from the book of Galatians. And our young people who are in pew packers can turn to their parents right now and show off their knowledge by telling them the theme of the book of Galatians. Go right on ahead, just whisper it in your parents' ear and amaze them at your biblical knowledge. Because the theme of the book of Galatians, if you were to read through it, is simply this, freedom through faith. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have what amounts to real freedom. But some would say that goes completely against the way we think. A lot of people say that that doesn't make sense. Because the way most people think of Christianity is we are not free. That, that God tells us so many things we can't do. All we think about is those thou shalt nots. How can that possibly be freedom? Some people say well, Christianity keeps us from having any sort of fun whatsoever. How can that possibly have real freedom, be freedom? God allows us to make any choice that we would want to make. And that's not to say there aren't consequences. In the Wednesday night class in the auditorium, we're thinking about choices. And one of the things we looked at in our introductory lesson this last Wednesday night was the very simple fact that every choice we make has some type of consequence, some good and some bad. But God allows us to make any choice that we might desire to make. He did not make us as robots. He gave us that freedom of choice that we so much enjoy. But God also makes it clear to us through His Word and also through life experiences that should we choose to follow Him, we really have ultimate freedom. And the reason that's true is very simple. Because if we will ultimately follow Him, if we will make sure we're always following Him, we are free from regret. We're free from guilt. We're free from shame. And just as that passage you read a moment ago from John chapter 8 reminds us, ultimately we're free from sin. But we're free from all of those things that sin brings with us. If we make those right and wise choices to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes we refer to that simply as being a spiritual person. Living in the Spirit of Christ. Living in the will of God. But when we're faithful, we also know there are certain things that come with being faithful Besides, if you will, just freedom, although freedom is such a wonderful thing. Tonight, I want us to look at that list that we read together a few minutes ago in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, that give us that fruit of the Spirit, as Paul describes it there. The word fruit just simply gives the idea of the production of something, the produce of something, the result of something. In fact, you could even translate this word offspring, because that is a result. Whatever you want to put in your mind for that word fruit, result or, or, or product or whatever, that's the idea. That if someone is one who's living in the Spirit of God, there is an a obvious result of that, an obvious product of that in their life. Yes, we have a part to play. We must make the right choices. We must continue to grow in maturity, continue to grow in Christ. But there will be certain things that are made manifest in our lives if we are following the will of God our goal for the next two Sunday nights, tonight and next Sunday night, is to look at this text and the one that follows. The one that follows. Tonight, we're going to consider this list. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is this list that Paul gives for us? 
And then, Lord willing, next Sunday night, we're going to look at the responsibility of the one who has this fruit of the Spirit in the verses that follow. We won't have time to get to tonight. But tonight we're going to do something that many of us have done many times before. We're going to simply look at this list, the fruit of the Spirit. What are these things that make up this list? Before we get to there, I want to tell you where we're going to end up. We're going to end up in a few minutes remembering this one fact. And that is that the word fruit is singular. Keep that in mind. We're going to circle back around to it in a few moments. The fruit of the Spirit, in our pew packers class, I told them I had to remember this list, and Mary Carol said, then just take your pew packer sheet up there. So here's mine. Just in case I can't remember the list, I've got my pew packer sheet right here in front of me. The fruit of the Spirit in the first place is love. We are not surprised, not only that love is on this list, but that it's the first thing. We might think of it being first or last on the list, just for emphasis' sake. And this is the word agape. It's the same word that you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, that ends with that wonderful verse, now abide faith, hope, and love, or charity, but the greatest of these is love. It's the same word, agape love. Agape love is that love that's self-sacrificial. It's others-seeking or others-centered. It's that kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13. But notice, if you look at the list in in, in Galatians chapter 5, it is just a list. And I point that out because there is no specification here given by Paul as to who this love is toward. In other words, there's no object listed for the love that he's talking about in Galatians chapter 5. Is it love for God? Is it love for other people? And the answer is yes. It is both. It is love for all, including God and including other people. In fact, what you really have here is a one-word summary. Love of the greatest commands that Jesus gave. He was asked in Mark chapter 12, what is the greatest commandment of them all? And you recall he gave them a twofer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 30. And the second is like to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gave that famous statement. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Paul takes both of those commands, love God, love neighbor, or love others, and brings them down to the one singular word, reminding us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. How can I know if that fruit is part of my life? Well, do I have love such as we prayed about a few minutes ago? Do we ever think about a love as Jesus commanded us for our enemies? He commanded that in the Sermon on the Mount, did He not? Love your enemies. What about loving those Who are my neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus was asked that on one occasion, was He not? And He didn't say the one who's just like you. Instead, He told the story of the Good Samaritan. In other words, it's love for those who may not be just like me. One of the qualifications of an elder is one who shows hospitality. But the word translated hospitality is literally a lover of strangers. In other words, it's not just someone who has people like them around them all the time. It's people who love all, including those who might be, to use our word, strange. Those who I don't know. Those who are different from me. Anyone can love those who love us back. But the fruit of the Spirit is simply love. Love for God. Love for all others. The fruit of the Spirit also is joy. And notice again, there's a lack of a qualifier here. And that's what makes, I believe, joy on this list very interesting. It's an overall joy. It's not happiness. Because happiness can change with the circumstances. This is the same word, not just in English, but in the original language, 
that was given at the announcement of the birth of Jesus by the angels to the shepherds in the field. I bring you good tidings of great joy. The same word, Luke 2 and 10. It's the same word that you find in Luke chapter 15 on a couple of occasions when the lost sheep is found and when the lost coin is found. Specifically, Luke 15 and verse 7, there is joy in the presence of, of heaven. It's the same word. It's a joy that's everlasting. It's a joy that's unexplainable. Happiness can change all the time. Happiness can change on a whim. Just follow social media during a football game if you don't believe me that happiness can change in a moment. A referee can change happiness. There's no doubt about that. Amen. But, but, but joy cannot be changed by those kinds of things. Joy can only change if I remove it from myself. If I decide not to be joyful. Paul would tell the Philippians very famously to rejoice in the Lord always. Notice it's a command and a choice. I can choose that joy. But if I'm in the Lord, I can have that joy always. If I make that choice. Happiness comes and goes at all sorts of external circumstances. How can I know then if I have the fruit of the Spirit of joy? It's not when things are rolling along well. It's not when things are going exactly the way I want them to go all the time. It's when things are not going so well. It's when maybe the health is not what I want it to be. It's maybe when relationships are not as strong as I might want them to be. I'm not happy, but am I joyful? Our children sometimes sing a song, I'm in right, out right, upright, down right, happy all the time. I'm sorry, I can't sing that song honestly. I'm not happy all the time, but I'm joyful all the time. That's a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit also is peace. The peace here is unqualified. It's a peace that Paul would say in Philippians 4-7, passes all understanding. The one who lives by the Spirit obviously has peace with God. We understand that. But some are not going to be peaceful towards us if we're striving to please God. If we're trying to be the kinds of people that God would have us to be, some are not going to be peaceful in our direction, toward us. Does that mean that I don't have the fruit of the Spirit if everything around me is not peaceful? That's not at all what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is, do I have an inward peace that simply cannot be explained, though there is no outward peace? Though things are not going the way I might want them to go. It does take a continual effort to have it, but God has promised that kind of peace in our life. There's a peace between us and God. There's a peace between us and others. Not because they may be peaceful, but because as much as in you is, we live at peace with all. We make the effort. And there's also a peace with our conscience. As long as our conscience is biblically trained, we have a peace that we're doing what God would have us to do. And so no matter what's going on in this life, we can walk in that kind of peace. Peace really encapsulates some of the other things found on this very same list. Things like patience and self-control. But it's a peace that's found in our whole lives. No matter what's going on, we can only know if we have this fruit of the Spirit, when things around us are not, are not at peace, when things are in turmoil, but yet within, we have peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit also is patience. Some translations have the word long-suffering. The word translated patience or long-suffering is the word macrothumia. Macro, large, long, Thumia, thermos, heat, anger. Macro, thumia, one who is long in coming to anger. 
This Greek word is the same one that we get our concept from of someone who has a long fuse. Someone who is long in coming to anger. That's the idea behind the word patience or long-suffering. God is not telling us we should never have anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. But what He is saying is, anger should not be our first emotion at every single circumstance. Now, there are certain things that should cause us anger. When I hear the name of God blasphemed, there should be an anger in my soul at that, that that's going on. When I see sin blatantly displayed in our world, there should be an anger within me that wells up because I don't want to see those things. I don't want this world to have those things. But anger should not be the first response of a Christian in every circumstance. We should be long in coming to anger. We should have the longest fuse that there is. I would suggest this is one of the easiest flaws for us to dismiss. You get someone who has a short fuse, someone who, to use our terminology, flies off the handle, and they often say, well, that's just who I am. That's just who I am. Then I'm sorry, you don't have the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It is long in coming to anger. It takes work, yes. A great deal of work. But that's why you have the word patience in some translations. We think of that as something that takes effort. And notice again, there's no qualifier given here. There are certain people I have no trouble having a long fuse around. There are others <laughs> where the fuse gets real short real quick. Parents, what about with your children? Are there certain things they might do that make us angry? Yes. But do we get angry at every last little thing and that's our first response is anger? Young people, what about with your parents? Even those of us who are grown have older parents. Maybe our parents are getting somewhat older and, and they do some things that frustrate us. It's okay to be angry, but is that, is that the first response to everything? Or are we long in coming to anger? What about with our bosses, employers, our department heads? Are we long in coming to anger? The fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit also is kindness. The King James Version has the word gentleness. I'm told by those who study such things, this is a difficult word to translate because it's such a generic word. And that's why those two translations are quite different. Kindness and gentleness. The word here is one for an inward moral integrity that shows itself in outward acts. And you can see then why it's difficult to translate. Because you have both the inward, the moral integrity, but also the outward, the actions that come from that moral integrity. It's a very, very rich word. It's a word that you can translate multiplied ways. I prefer gentleness of the two, but kindness is fine. It's a trait that shows itself no matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter who's around. It doesn't matter what's going on. Do I treat people with a gentle, a kind spirit? Do I treat people with gentle and kind words? Several years ago, uh, my family went to visit at a gospel meeting. And the speaker it was one of those meetings where the man was staying in town and just had the day to study on his own and everything, and then would come in, in the evening and, and, and preach. He didn't have responsibilities during the day. And he said he actually wrote that night's sermon that day based on a trip to Walmart. And I'm thinking, okay, this, this could be a lot of fun. There's no telling what he's going to preach about. His sermon was on kindness because he said, I didn't see any of it at Walmart. We live in a world where we barely know what kindness really looks like. And especially a kindness that comes from an inner moral integrity and shows itself no matter the circumstances. 
when I have to wait too long for my food at a restaurant, is there not a gentle and kind way to let that be known instead of just saying, you can't get anything right around here? Not exactly gentleness and kindness. And that's a small example. But it shows us how quickly we jump to the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit also is goodness. Now we can get confusing here because this word can also be translated kindness. I put in the handout for tonight something that Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary that it's a word we don't use very much, but he suggests that the word beneficence would be the best translation or best definition of the word that's given to us as goodness. The idea behind this word is it's the one who is always ready to do good to anyone around them. Sound familiar? Oh, it's just a handful of verses later in this very same book. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think most of us would say, it's quite easy for me to do good to my fellow Christians. There are some who might, I might have a personality difference with, or maybe they've got my nerves in the past. But for the most part, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not that difficult for me when I see the opportunity to do good to those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's not all Paul commanded in that verse. Do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, as you have opportunity. Am I always ready? When I see an opportunity for anyone to do good toward that person, to be beneficent toward that person, the fruit of the Spirit shows itself when we're ready and willing to do good when any opportunity arises to do a beneficent act. Those who are walking in the Spirit, excuse me, those who are not walking in the Spirit, I should say, are selfish. They're not looking for opportunities. And even if they see opportunities, they, they excuse a million ways to Sunday not to go through with that opportunity. Now, that's true that we need to make sure we're careful and wise in helping people and not enabling people to do things that are sinful or unwise in their life. But often, we can get to the point where we rationalize away opportunities to do good more often than we actually go about doing good. Jesus is described as one who went about doing good. And since He is our example, that should be what we are all about. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is also faithfulness. The King James Version has the word faith. But I think faithfulness is a little better here because the meaning behind the word is faith through fidelity. In other words, it's faith that continues on. That's why the English Standard Version and others use the word faithfulness. We may think this is the most obvious thing on the list. Well, obviously, if I have the fruit of the Spirit, I've got faith. But think about this for a moment. Look at everything else on that list for a second. Skip in your mind, skip the word faith or faithfulness. You and I all know people who do everything else on that list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. But why? How many of them do those things simply because they think it's what society says is polite or genteel? How many of them do those things only because... Mom and dad taught me to do that when I was a kid. Grandma taught me to do that when I was a kid. So that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. The Christian does those things because we have an ongoing faith in Jesus Christ. We do them out of the highest purpose of them all. And that is a faith that cannot be shaken, no matter what might come our way in this life. But notice again, there's no qualifier here. What is this faith or faithfulness toward? Is it faithfulness to God? Yes. But that overarches every other area of life in which we must show ourselves to be faithful. 
Those of us who are married made wedding vows. Are we faithful to those vows? Of all people, God's people should be faithful to those vows. When we sign our name on a contract, are we faithful to that contract? Do we live by the, the things that we've signed our name to because we have made a promise, or if you please, a vow by signing our name to that contract or to repay a debt or whatever it happens to be. We live in a time when it's so easy to break our word, but the Christian is one who is always faithful because they're ultimately faithful to God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is also gentleness. And here I prefer the King James where it says meekness. You've often heard it said that meekness is not weakness. We understand that. In fact, Jesus gave the great blessing. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Literally, the word meek simply means strength under pressure. Strength under pressure. The reason it's translated gentleness in the English Standard Version is because it comes across as one who's not firing off at people. But I like meekness. One who doesn't crack when the pressure's on. God is not saying all of life is easy. He's not saying you'll never have pressure in your life. We all know that we do, and God is honest enough to tell us we're going to have pressures in our life. But the one who has the fruit of the Spirit is one who somehow musters up strength when there's pressure in life. Musters up a strength within that simply cannot be explained. And it shows itself in disposition, in words, in actions. This is the one who's not easily provoked. Who, who, yes, when they come to a place of anger, is quick to come back to a place of simple living. Does that mean we lack passion? No. Does that mean we lack energy? No. It simply means we're able to control those emotions and still treat people the way we would like to be treated when pressure is in our life. And number nine, the fruit of the Spirit is also self-control. Or, or temperance, the King James Version has. It seems like a natural conclusion because so many other things in this list take self-control to live out. The idea behind this word is a very generic one. Control all of ourselves. It was most often used of sensual or sexual restraint, but that's not all that it means. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul had made it clear that a Christian is free in Christ, but that does not give us license to just do whatever we want. As we talked about at the beginning, when we choose the right way, we really have freedom. And so, one who has self-control remembers that when there will be a chance to step out of that way. It would include things like gluttony. It would include things like lust and pornography. In fact, if you glance back up in Galatians chapter 5, there's another list. The works of the flesh. Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You look at everything on that list. Self-control would end every one of them. If people simply had self-control, everything on that list would be done away with. We know what the human side of us or the fleshly side of us wants to do in certain things that may be unwise Maybe not good, may even be sinful. But the fruit of the Spirit shows itself in remaining always in control when our fleshly passions want to run another way. In other words, self-control removes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, circle back around with me. The fruit of the Spirit. 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Nine things. And yet Paul says, it's one. One product. One result. One fruit. Each thing on that list, in reality, simply makes up a part of the overall nature of the one who is living by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, I've neglected the context here intentionally because I want to come back to it at the very end to make a point by way of conclusion. Some of us may think that following this list is just too hard. It's just not worth it. It goes so far against our culture that we're going to look like we're just crazy. But Paul makes it clear that not only can we manifest this fruit in our lives, he makes it clear of the difference it will make If you're still in Galatians 5, glance back up and notice what he had written earlier in verses 13 through 16. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What is he saying? He is not saying this is easy all the time. He is not saying this is what you're going to want to do every moment of every day. But what he is saying is this you have a choice. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the result of first the unwise choice, the works of the flesh. But as we've studied tonight, the result, the product, the fruit of the wise choice, the fruit of the Spirit. God is honest enough to say, you have a choice. But He's also honest enough to say, here's the results. Should you show (laughs) shoulder surgery? Should you choose wisely or unwisely? The question is very simple. Would you rather have the things listed in the works of the flesh or love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wouldn't you rather have the things that Paul says, against such things, there's no law. In other words, wouldn't you rather have real freedom? That's the choice you and I get to make. That our God allows us to make. And that you and I must make. Tonight, will you choose wisely? as we stand and sing to encourage you.